It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Good afternoon, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show, and this is WBC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in the United States. So it is it is a great privilege and pleasure to be with you every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, I have so much to cover with you uh, uh, today. I want to, just in this open, talk about three or four issues that are at the top of my 77 mind. 77 WBC News. And so the first thing I want to bring up, if I may, is have you all seen this movie that came out a few months ago? And it, it by the way, it is it is uh, up for, uh, you know, 15 Academy Awards. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I watched it this weekend. It's a long movie. It's about three hours long. But uh, I'd say it's not great. I thought it was good. It was, it was not great, but I, I liked it. But I, the reason I'm bringing this up, is that for those of you who've seen this or know about it, it's about this Osagi tribe in Oklahoma that they'd struck oil back at the turn of the last century and made a lot of money on the oil on their uh, reservation. And it's about the murders that took place. There were people tried to murder the Osagis to get uh, the the right to the oil. Uh, interesting story. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the reason I bring this up. There's is there so much irony in life. So, now, uh, here we are almost 100 years later, and the Osagi tri- tribe is trying to get rid of these windmills that they're trying to uh, erect on their land. And so you've got these green groups that are saying they want to put up all the, all the windmills, which kill birds and despoil the natural environment. And you've got the Indian reservation tribe saying, no, we don't want these, these, uh, these windmills. We don't need windmills in this country. And so I just think it's so ironic that uh, this movie came out and now the Asagis are back in the uh, news for opposing um, the, the windmills. And by the way, with this one, I'm with the Asagis. I think it's outrageous. If they don't want this on the land that they own, there's no reason the government should come in and tell them they have to have um, these windmills. By the way, it'd be like if you own a home and you own a couple of acres of land, and the government says, "Oh, we're going to build, we're going to build uh, windmills and solar panels on your property." No, you're not. We still believe in private property in this country. And wh- the reason I bring this up: the green movement in this country is crazy. These people are lunatics. They have no respect for the right of law. They have no respect for what we should be doing with energy policy, which is producing every single barrel of oil we can, every single amount of natural gas that we can. And this is a lead into my second issue that I wanted to call to your attention, this crazy attack by the Biden administration, which was just announced a couple of days ago, that they want to cut off our exports of LNG, which is liquefied natural gas. We have more natural gas in this country than any other country in the world. Natural gas is a clean burning fuel. 
Let me say that again. Natural gas is clean. If you care about the environment, yes, we should be using more natural gas. And to the extent, and by the way, I think we should be using our coal as well. But what's been happening is we've been transitioning from coal to natural gas that's cleaning up the environment, that's reducing our carbon emissions in the atmosphere. And these lunatic green groups don't want us to be using natural gas. It's unbelievable to me that they would uh, they would do this. So, um, you know, my uh, assistant just was telling me that one shipment of LNG heats one million homes for a month. That's from Harold Hamm, who's one of the great uh, oil and gas producers in this country. So if you care about the environment, if you care about our economy, if you care about jobs, if you care about our budget deficit, if you care about our trade deficit, one of the best ways of dealing with every single one of these issues is the slam dunk issue of exporting and producing more natural gas in this country. Joe Biden has basically said, no, we're going to turn the spigots off. That is um, unpatriotic. It's bad for American workers. It's bad for our economy. I don't understand it. Why has Joe Biden sold his soul to the Al Gore crazy environmentalists? Uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand why they're against nuclear power. I don't understand why they're against natural gas. I don't understand why they're against oil. Folks, if these people have their way and Joe Biden gets a second term, you're going to have to get a generator in your home. You're going to have to get a generator because these people are going to turn off the lights. They're going to regulate your thermostat. They, you're going to get brownouts and blackouts throughout this country. Mark my word, you heard it first on the More Money Show. This is coming because these people are crazy. And maybe it's their intention. Maybe it's their intention of slowing down the economy. You know, they talk about, I don't know if you all have heard of this new term on the left called degrowth. Degrowth is basically saying we need less prosperity in America. We need Americans to become poor. That's their agenda. They admit it. They admit it that they think the solution to our uh, environmental issues is to make America poor, which is crazy. The solution to our problems with the respect to keeping um, our environment safe and clean is to grow the economy, better technology. Uh, countries that get richer are much, much more environmentally um, sensitive to uh, cleaning up their environment. So that's my second message. A couple of other quick things I wanted to mention. By the way, we have a great show today. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I have a great interview that I'm going to do with Jason Smith. He's going to talk about this. He, Jason Smith, by the way, is the head of the House Ways and Means Committee, and he has oversight over the tax committee and the tax policy in America. They have a bill that I, I ask him for uh, to tell us what's good and what's bad about the bill, and I think you'll find that uh, really illuminating. But um, I wanted to bring up one or two other quick issues, if I may. Did you see this? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's gone viral on the internet. An Illinois state legislator uh, basically had a, had a sign-up sheet uh, for liberals and for his fellow legislators saying, why don't you open up your home to these illegal immigrants and the, uh, the, asylum, <coughs> excuse me, the asylum seekers who are coming into the country? Illegally. And, you know, as you know, Illinois now is getting bus loads of these illegal immigrants, as most of you in the New York area know, you're getting a lot of these too. What he's saying is, look, you liberals wanted New York and Chicago and other big cities to be uh, sanctuary cities inviting the illegal immigrants in. Guess what? They're here. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them are here. You wanted them. You invited them in. 
you voted for Joe Biden. A lot of these districts uh, in Chicago, you know, by 20 or 30 points, they voted for Biden. So don't you have a moral obligation then, since you wanted all the illegal immigrants to come in, put them up in your home. You know, they're they're homeless right now. There's nowhere to put them. Should we put them in gymnasiums? Should we put them in the school auditoriums? Should we putting them on hotels? Should we let them, uh, you know, sleep on the street corners? These hypocrite liberals say they want the illegal immigrants. And I say, and this is what you should watch this. You can go on uh, on YouTube and you can find this video of this con- this Illinois uh, state senator saying, hey, you wanted them, put them in your home. If you've got an extra room, do your duty. Uh, and of course, none of them are doing this. In fact, this Illinois state legislator is getting attacked by the left for his, his ploy. This isn't a ploy. This is just basically uh, allowing hypocritical liberals to do what they say they want. Finally, Finally, uh, and, and obviously I'm going through these issues quickly, but um, why is there this war against um, success in America? Why is there a war against profits? Why is there a war against companies that are lifting the American economy? You all know about what's called the Magnificent Seven. These are the seven technology stocks, including Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Tesla, NVIDIA, which, by the way, uh, my wife uh, invested in NVIDIA at the beginning of the year, and we made a lot of money on that stock. Anyway, those magnificent seven stocks have accounted for most of the gain in the stock market over the last year. In other words, they're making trillions of dollars of wealth for American shareholders. And I think most of you listening to the show, you own a 401k plan or you own stock. I hope you own the magnificent seven because they've made so much money this year. Biden is bringing all these lawsuits against the Magnificent Seven because he says they're too successful. So you've got lawsuits against Amazon. You've got lawsuits against Apple. You've got lawsuits against Microsoft by our own government attacking our own companies. And what is their sin? They say they're becoming too successful. They're too big. They're making too much profits. They're employing too many people. Come on, we want success in this country. There's nothing, you know, profits is not a dirty word. The dirty word is losses. We want companies to be making profits. That's how how they hire workers. Then you've also got Tesla, which is under assault by the Biden administration, by their EPA. So six of the seven magnificent seven that are, uh, you know, accounting for more than half of our gains in the stock market are under attack from our own government. I, I don't know. I find that to be absurd. We want success in this country. We should reward success and punish failure. And the Biden administration is doing just the opposite. Uh, folks, I am Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. I'll be right back with my interview with the great Jason Smith. The uh, He is the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, one of the most important Voices in Washington. This is the More Money Show. Stay with us. Talk Radio 77, Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. I am very privileged to have with us a special guest today, and that is the great Jason Smith, who is the uh, congressman from Missouri and also has one of the most important positions when it comes to the economy. He's the chairman of the incredibly important Ways and Means Committee, which has oversight over the tax code, over uh, entitlement programs, uh, trade issues. So, Jason, thanks so much for joining 
uh, this afternoon. It's great to be with you, Stephen. So let's get right into it. Uh, you uh, are the author of a new tax bill that appears to be moving through Congress. You were telling me earlier that it, it sailed through the committee. Tell us about what's in that bill and why should people support it? The main, the main items within the legislation, it's half um, on the individual side, half business. Okay. The individual side is the child tax credit. On the business side, it's the main provisions that have expired from the Trump tax cuts. Well, we love the Trump tax cuts. You know, I mean, it was Larry Kudlow and I and Art Laffer who helped put that together. It's, so We had the best economy right. after the Trump tax cuts. So what would this make? Uh, what, would, what, would it, what features of that bill would it deal with? Currently, three very important provisions have expired from the Trump tax cuts okay. of 2017. Research and development expensing, right. um, interest deductibility, the formula in regards to that mm-hmm. for small businesses, and then um, the 100% um, immediate expensing right. is starting to phase out. It was 80% last year. So that means, again, just so, because a lot of people aren't tax you know, experts here. So that means if a p- company buys like, equipment or machinery or computers, they can actually write that off or build a factory, for example. They'd be, all those expenses they can write off against their taxes. 100% in the, first year. the year that they right. buy it. Yeah, and that's a big deal, right? It incentivizes companies. It's a to. huge economic driver. After right. we did the Trump tax cuts, yeah. the economy grew by 1% above GDP. Wow. You know, that's, yeah. that's huge, and it's because of what's going. Just these three provisions. I mean, the interest deductibility provision is projected to create 867,000 new jobs just for the couple years that this is in effect. The research and development affects 21 million jobs. These are things that will have a multiplying effect to the economy, um, and it will also be very helpful to get us to the end of 2025, which is the year of tax. I call it the Super Bowl of tax. (laughs) If we do nothing... In 2025, we will face a three and a half trillion dollar yeah. increase in taxes. It'll plunge the economy. It would destroy yeah. the economy. And so that would just basically wipe out all of what we were able to achieve with those tax cuts. So um, agree with you entirely on the importance of the expensing provision for that machinery equipment plant because we want stuff invested here in the United States, right? We don't want it invested. There's in a the couple camp. other bu- uh, business yeah. provisions, too, that's in there. The um, 179, the, that's, that's also that. the expensing. Okay. Back in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, mm-hmm. we increased it from a half a million to a million and made that permanent. Well, this bill also makes permanent increasing it from a million to one point two nine million, so this and is then more indexing for it for smaller sized businesses for small businesses okay. for um, the expensing perspective. Okay, so I like that. Um, now, I also like the research and development, uh, you know, um, write-offs because uh, I have a, we have a lot of members at the Committee on Unleashed Prosperity who are heavy investors in the pharmaceutical industry. You know, and not really not. You know, the startup companies that are developing these new drugs for Alzheimer's or ALS or whatever, cancer. Right. And they say, you know, they, without this, they don't have the funds. You know, they have to pay taxes and they're losing money, you know, because, you know, you have to invest sometimes billions of dollars before you make a penny on these things. So that seems to me pretty important. And it seems these guys who are investing in these companies say it's important. The Wall Street Journal editorial board does not agree with us, though. They say that this is really a giveaway for corporations. This is research and development immediate expensing. Mm -hmm. Where we stand right now since research and development expensing has expired, China is 200% to one 
of advantages that they yeah. give to R&D. Right. When we're competing on the world stage, especially with China, why would we say, hey, it's better for you to move to China for research and development than to actually do it in the United right. States. It is just clearly the same thing yeah. as expensing. Yeah. Instead of a five-year period where expensing is like 20% every year for research and development, it would be 100%, just like the, the so immediate the, expense. Thank you for that. Uh, so the, um, the, what Wall Street Journal editorial board does not like about your bill is they don't like the child credit expansion. I'm not wild about that myself. I, I think on balance what you've done is a positive thing for the economy, although I don't like you know, all of these credits that give money to people. Uh, but you're saying, as, as if I read correctly your bill, the credit is against the payroll taxes. That So someone's working, let's say they have two kids, maybe they're not paying a lot of income tax, but they do have to pay payroll tax. So this would be like credited off the payroll tax. Is that am I explaining that right? Or so there's four main provisions that's mm-hmm. changed within here. What we did was preserve the child tax credit that was in the Trump tax cuts okay. of 2017. Right. We preserved the work requirement, which is so extremely that's the most important. important thing. Yeah, exactly. That is the most important okay. thing because whenever the Democrats, right. back during the American Rescue Plan, um, had their huge child tax credit, they eliminated the work requirement and. Just just an interesting statistic. And so that, then you're basically paying people, paying people money not, not to work. and they're not working. Yeah. And that's a killer because we saw, you know, under Obama and also even during COVID, all these people just stopped working and they were getting government checks. And we that cannot mm-hmm. continue because we have, you know, four or five million people who are mostly males who could be and should be working that are not working today. When their tax credit expired December 31st, um, just the month of January and February following, mm-hmm. 1.7 million people returned to the wow. workforce. Wow. That whole year prior, the whole year prior, whenever there was yeah. no work requirement in the child tax credit, only 1.6 million people in the whole 12 months returned to the workforce. So when the journal work says, again, it's sorry, but I just want to make clear on this because it's such an important point. When the journal says this bill will pay people not to work, you're saying that's just not... It's not true. And even the Tax Foundation and AEI um, tax advisors has said that it actually enhances the work requirement because we eliminated the um, child penalty. Mm -hmm. So you actually will work harder if you have multiple children, according to Tax Foundation, AEI. So, I mean, there's always going to be people with different um, arguments mm-hmm. on each side of the table. But when you look at the roughly $30 billion that's within the child tax credit, $17 billion of that is eliminating the child penalty, okay. Okay. which is very big. Um, then we also index the child tax credit for inflation okay. for 24 and 25. It has been 2000 since 2017. It hasn't changed. This would just do the indexing. I wanted to change directions a little bit, if I could, and talk about the big vision of where we eventually want to end up on taxes. Uh, Steve Forbes and I and Larry Kudlow and Art Laffer have talked for 40 years about this whole issue, and now you've thought a lot about it uh, as well. Um, Most, well, Steve Forbes is the big advocate, as you know, of the flat tax. Just get rid Mm -hmm. of all the garbage in the tax code, get the rates down as low as possible, Uh, get rid of the deductions and loopholes and special interest provisions. What do you think about that idea? You know, it has great merit. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need a more simplified tax code 
Back in 2016 and 17, when we were trying to do the Trump tax cuts, we wanted to be able to get to the point that you could file your taxes on one page. Mm -hmm. You could fill it out on one piece of paper on a postcard. Um, Our tax code is is larger than the Bible, you know, when <laughs> you're looking at, yeah. at volumes. Um, so any way that we can simplify it, lower the rates, mm-hmm. create more, more um, growth mechanisms, that's the Therefore. approach. We need to make sure we can compete with the world exactly. on our tax code. We're not well, always Trump, doing You know, that. this, as you know, it worked under Calvin Coolidge. It worked under Ronald Reagan. It worked under John F. Kennedy. It worked under Trump. When we lower tax rates, as Larry Kudlow would say, good things happen. But I wanted to ask you another reform that has really been talked about. Now, this is the grand reform that I'm sure a lot of people, even in your congressional district, ask, ask you about. And that's the idea of the fair tax or a national sales tax, which would essentially entirely replace the corporate income tax, the personal income tax, the capital gains tax, the dividend tax, the death tax. And you'd basically, under that system, as you know, you'd pay taxes like mm-hmm. you do in your state. You'd pay your, your, uh, your sales tax. You'd pay at the cash register. Um, I've always liked that idea. I don't know how practical it is, but it seems to me you're taxing people on what they take out of the economy rather than what they put into the economy. But what are your thoughts about the uh, about the fair tax? We actually had the first um, committee hearing on the fair tax since oh, I've did. been in Congress. Um, but we also discussed the flat tax. We mm-hmm. discussed all the different right. aspects of the tax. Um, there are numerous members who are aligned with you. They mm-hmm. support the fair tax, um, and they would love to see it. The idea of not having the IRS is pretty tempting. <laughs> it is. So, right. that kind of, um, so you're willing to look I, into it. I think when we look at restructuring the tax code, we have to look at everything. Okay, so I'm not boxing myself Good. in as supporting any tax tax proposal. What I'm locking myself in is to simplify the tax code, lower rates, and create more, more investment. Why, we got a minute and a half left, and I've abused your time already, but I wanted to ask you one other thing. Donald Trump is talking about that 10% tariff. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a free trader. I think you are. I know uh, most of our members are. It's a revenue tariff, and, and you know, what, what some people would say was, look, you know, tariffs were one of the major ways we raised revenue in this mm-hmm. country for the first 100 years we were a country before we had an income tax. What, is your, what are your thoughts about this uh, 10% tariff? You know, tariffs um, can be used in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, tariffs have been used as leverage um, to right. be able to get good things. And Trump, for, Trump did a pretty good job Trump of that. Trump did a phenomenal leverage. job, right. for example, with Japan. Right. Um, and Mexico. Yeah, with the threat yes. of tariffs. And yep. it brought Japan to the table to, to lower their tariffs. And so it is a tool that okay. should be used appropriately okay. um, to make sure that we're competitive. Good. Because, you know, you want to make sure you have free trade, but also fair trade. Right. And if other countries aren't playing by the, mm-hmm. the same rules, you need, to, you need to use levers there. But I think that was Trump's, you know, philosophy that, you know, he understood that we have leverage, you know, his famous book is The Art of the Deal. He, yep. you know, if you have leverage, you use it. And I, I think, you know, and I'm a free trade guy, but I thought he used that leverage, as you just said, pretty effectively. He did. So. And that's, I think, I think that's what you have to do, especially okay. when you're looking at China. Yep. That was a, that was a big approach. Okay. Jason Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate your you, taking sir. time out of your appreciate busy schedule. It. We're here for a Committee to Unleash Prosperity dinner tonight with Jason Smith and some of the smartest people in New York and around the country. So uh, thanks for joining, and we'll be right back. This is the More Money Show. 
It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. By the way, uh, I thought that was a fascinating interview, and I hope you did, too, with Jason Smith. He's one of the smartest guys we have in Washington when it comes to uh, fixing our uh, absurd tax system. Uh, I want to stay on the subject of the economy with my next guest, David Sokol. Uh, Many of you know that I've had David on many times because he is a successful businessman who makes sense, who can explain what's going on in the economy in a, in a way that most politicians cannot. He is uh, a good friend, by the way, and a, uh, a sponsor of our Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And he is also the author, author of a book that came out about a year ago, which is a, a must read. It's called America in Perspective. Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. Boy, do we need to do that. Uh, David, thanks again so much for joining. Glad to be with you, Steve. So let's get right down to it. You know, you wrote your book uh, really talking about the perils of what's happening in Washington and how so much of the spending and the taxing and the regulating is just strangling our small businesses. You started out as a small business businessman, became very successful. Um, I don't even even know if you could do it today, given the hurdles that the government is creating for men and women who want to start businesses. Well, Steve, you make a very good point. And, and obviously, all of these things didn't happen just over the last three years. But at least in my 45 years in business, I've never seen more acceleration towards mm-hmm. an authoritarian type of government than we've seen uh, in the last three years. Um you know, our entire constitution, our economy, and, and frankly, the prosperity that America has brought to the entire world over the last mm-hmm. 250 years is based upon meritocracy and freedom, the freedom to chase your dream, uh, keeping government mm-hmm. minimized as much as possible and, and, uh, and out, of the, out of the way um, uh, of, of entrepreneurs and people chasing their dream. And, and that is really being attacked in a big way. And, and, and you know, the, the one thing I think we can all agree on is that the, the U.S. government does have one absolute role that, that we have to honor, protect, mm-hmm. and fund, which is defending uh, Americans' right to exist in this world, um, our freedom-based constitution, and for us to mm-hmm. participate globally. Even that we're seeing eroded significantly uh, recently in the Red Sea and and the uh, Gulf of Aden, um, as oh, we right. see for the first yes, as we see from the first time since World War II yeah. that the U.S. U.S. military is no longer defending the trade lanes of the globe. Right. So uh, you know you uh, exp- go into that more deeply because you and I had been talking on the telephone a couple, about a week ago, and you were telling me about what's really happening in the Red Sea, about how uh, many of these uh, trade ships are being apprehended and invaded, and is it getting better there? Because I know you, your company, you depend on these trade routes to be able to sell your products. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, I would say it's it's solving itself in an uncomfortable way. But just to uh-huh. put it in perspective, since mid-December, yep. uh, in excess of 35 commercial vessels have been attacked going through the Red Sea or into the Gulf of Eden. Two U.S. destroyers have been attacked. Jesus. Um, Several, that's a, several that's a, that's almost an act of that's almost an act of war. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the U.S. Fortunately, those destroyers, no military uh, individuals were killed. Uh, our military was able to shoot the the uh, cruise missiles down, but our government doesn't even want to admit they were shot at the at the destroyers. Right. There's a quote right. today in the paper saying, "Well, we don't know exactly where they were heading." <laughs> well, then why did you shoot them down? Um, right. But what's what's really important is that that, you know, these commercial vessels are trade lanes, 12 to 15 percent of all of the products you, you you utilize every day travel through the Red Sea or used to travel through the Red wow. Sea and the, and the Gulf of Eden. Wow. They are now being forced to go around uh, the entire continent of Africa. Um, and, and, and what's what's amazing about this is the U.S. knows, you know, where these Houthi troops are. They've taken some out to, to show that they're doing something, but it continues today. Yesterday, the, an Arleigh Burke destroyer was fired upon by, by a cruise missile, um, and an oil tanker um, was, uh, was hit. Um, and, and you think, think about the damage that a major oil tanker being sunk in the Red Sea uh, or in the Gulf of Aden will do globally. Um, and, and, but then add to that the fact that all of our commerce now having to circumnavigate Africa uh, instead of that 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 prized uh, trade route, right? They're increasing they're increasing the cost of all those goods thirty to forty percent, and Ugh. they're increasing the CO two emissions between fifty and one hundred and fifty percent. So, so the administration <laughs> is, says they care about yeah. they care about inflation, <laughs> right. they care about CO two. Uh, they're doing nothing to demonstrate it. So this is infuriating, uh, folks. I hope you're listening intently to what David Sokol is telling us, uh, because, um, as you said, it's it's hurting our environment. It's almost like a tax on buying on American products, because if it costs now 30 to 40 percent more to transport these goods and services, then all of a sudden you're going to have to pay more at the cash register. And it's insulting to the United States. I mean, come on. Uh, there's an old saying, David, that you know uh, weakness is pro- pro- provocative. That's what Reagan used to say. And we we look weak right now. I mean, it, we spend what 750 billion dollars a year on our national defense, and we're not defending our trade routes. I mean, I have to say, David, and I'd like your response to this: If Reagan were president today, or or uh, Donald Trump were president today. This wouldn't have lasted a month or two. It would have been over in two or three days. I, I don't understand why we're not responding in a in a way with the force that's needed to clear these shipping lanes. Well, it's it, yeah. It's, it's first of all, no president prior to this administration has ever allowed this to happen. Yes. Every time in the past that there have been blockades, blockages, right. uh, yep. attempts to to harm shipping lanes. The U.S. Mm-hmm. has immediately, since World War II, and frankly, part of the settlement, if you will, at the end of World War II, America agreed to protect the major trade lanes in exchange right. for us having access to those trade right. lanes. But what's interesting is that the people that are doing this are called the Houthis. They're a terrorist group that's funded by Iran. Yes. Nobody yep. doesn't know that, including the U.S. government. 
But well, I'll tell you what's interesting. If you in, in the Wall Street Journal today, the U.S. government points out that they've asked the Chinese to start really putting some pressure on Iran because this is a real problem over there that they're, the Houthis are doing this. Now, Iran to us has quoted several times that they have no control over, over the Houthis. But let me tell you what's interesting. The Houthis aren't firing on Chinese or Russian ships. They are giving clear passage through the Red oh, Sea. Oh, that's outrageous. And the, and outrageous. In the Sea of yeah. Aden. And, and, uh, and, and you know, why is that? Because China and Russia are major trade partners with Iran. And so for, for a country that has no control over the Houthis, um, somehow they're able yeah. to keep them from, from shooting so, on Chinese or Russian ships, but not anybody else's. So, so explain, this, yeah, explain, uh, explain if you would. Because, you know, this is news to a lot of us who don't you know, follow this nearly as close as you do. So you've got these pirate – these are basically pirates on the high seas, right? And they are – how are they – what are they doing? They're shooting, at, they're shooting it at the ships. Are they actually uh, – and then uh, are they capsizing them? I mean, what, how are they preventing well, that, these ships from yeah, yeah, the, getting the through? Goal, the goal is to sink the ships. What, they, what they've been doing, there have been several attempts for them to use these high-speed skiffs with shoulder mounted rocket launchers to go out right they have found they have found that not to be very effective because these are pretty large ships right but what what they're what the houthis are doing is they've got significant batteries of cruise missiles wow and and anti-ship missiles on land in yemen as well as drones with with bomb capabilities and they're launching these attacks from yemen all through the Red Sea and down through the, the Gulf of Aden. The U.S. knows where their radar sites are. Yeah, they know where right. all of these batteries are. And right. historically, what, what we would have done is we'd have given them take one them out. or two, two chances to stop. Right. And then we would just take them out. Here, yeah. as recently as yesterday and probably today, they fired on a U.S. destroyer. And the, the U.S.'s reaction was merely to shoot the cruise missile down as it came to the destroyer. Instead yeah. of taking out that, now so, we have, yeah. in fairness, we have over the last month, um, the, the U.S. claims maybe we've taken out close to 30 percent of the Houthis' capability. But why 30 um, percent? Why not 75, 80, 100 percent? I mean, yeah, again, because, because I, one, David, this is such an... Is we've yeah. only been able to intercept about 80 percent of these missiles that the Houthis have sent. Fortunately, most of the other 20 percent uh, haven't hit a vessel because remember these these container ships and and mm-hmm. and uh, large bulk petroleum carriers they're not uh, ships of war. A cruise missile hits either one of those, they're going down. Yeah, and you're going to kill so, everybody on board, and you're going to spill oil, you know, millions of gallons yeah. of oil. So it's, again, folks, I hope you're paying close attention to this because it's not getting the attention that it deserves. It is, it's almost like pirates on the high sea in the 19th century. This is the year 2024. It's, it's stunning to me that this is happening, that Biden has been so enfeebled in his response to this, that it goes on and on. They're starting to take some steps, but I, I'm sorry, folks, this makes America look weak. It looks makes us look impotent. We're supposed to be the world economic superpower. We're supposed to have peace through strength. Why are we not using our strength here to stop these? It's not that hard to stop this. And yet, I I don't know, uh, David. I mean, the fact that they're not taking decisive action, 
with our military, you know, they're more interested in making sure that, you know, we have green energy in our military than actually doing what our energy, our military is for, which is to keep Americans safe and secure. These are, Amer- these are American ships you're talking about, right? No, well, not all of them, but, but, but a good portion of them. of them are. And, and then the point is, though, that the U.S. took, made the commitment in exchange for the other countries on the planet saying that America can control the sea lanes, that we would defend them for everybody. And wow. I, I, it, it not only makes us look weak, it demonstrates. I, mean, I think yes. personally, Steve, the problem is this administration is mindlessly a believer that we have a global community. It's ridiculous. And as much as as any of us would love that to be true, they apparently aren't aware that North Korea, you know, has recently stated that when they have nuclear weapons, they basically are intend to annex South Korea. That Iran, you know, hates America and hates Israel. Um, Russia apparently is not our friend either. Yeah. So, um, look, look we got to take a break, uh, David. This is yeah. really crucial information. I can't uh, uh, tell you how much we appreciate it. I'd love to, for you to come on a, in a week or two and give us an update on this. That was David Sokol. Uh, he is a, a, a great businessman, a great book called American Perspective. We'll be right back. This is the More Money Show on WABC. WABC. Hey, it's Ryan Payne, Bob Payne, this week. On the More Money Show from Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, talking the markets, the economy, your finances. And Bob, man, oh man, it just seems week after week, the data just gets better than better. And this was a red hot week for economic data. Yeah, it really was, Ry. I mean, we keep getting a, a very resilient economy. Everybody expects it to slow down, which it did a little bit. I mean, the GDP number for the third quarter was a roaring 5.2%, but we came in at 3.3%. And you'll never guess, it was way above the experts' estimates. Yeah, it seems like, hey, economists make fortune tellers look good. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't a little wrong last year. They were way wrong. Um, And, you know, I think that speaks to, as well, you can't really base your investment strategy on what the quote-unquote experts say because they're rarely right. And I think, you know, the big question right now is, okay, market continues to go higher. Uh, looks like there's a good chance we're probably not going to go into recession in the year 2024. And maybe, again, you've been sitting in cash. You're getting that 5%, but markets are going higher. You know that rates may go down. It's like, what do you do? You feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, I mean, talking about economic data, we had great news on the inflation front. The uh, favorite indicator from the Federal Reserve isn't the CPI, it's what they call the PCE, and that's now down to 2.9%. So we're closing in on that 2% target that Jerome Powell's been speaking about, Ryan, and based on the numbers we look at, he's actually already there. Yeah, no, it's a good point. If you start extrapolating that number out, you look at it on a three-month basis, it's like almost under 2%. So you've got normalized inflation, um, the, you know, the one piece of data that I always look at is wages now are starting to exceed inflation, right? And that's important because if inflation goes up big, but your wages aren't going up or you're in big trouble, but we're seeing that trend reverse and it's been that way for the last couple of months. So if we have strong wages, strong employment market this year, lower inflation, that bodes really well for economic growth and it bodes really well for, you know, what we look at all the time. That's the stock market, Bob. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad that all of you listen to us every week because we've been warning you about this. You don't want to wait 
until somebody gets on national television and rings the bell and waves a flag saying, hey, it's all clear, right? This thing's happening gradually and then suddenly. And we're starting to see the good news. Stock market hit an all-time record high reflecting that good news. And, you know, everybody's, you know, runs a business, right? Is, you know, they were listening to the, you know, to the siren song of the, uh, you know, of the economist and they were tightening their belt. And all of a sudden, the economy is really good. Businesses are going to do well. Corporations are going to do well. Earnings are going to go up. Yeah, no, it's 100% right. And I think, you know, the one opportunity you have right now as an investor, someone trying to plan for retirement, is income is really rich. And I think the two mistakes that we see a lot of you making right now is, A, you're still sitting in cash. If the Fed cuts interest rates this year, they probably will because inflation's coming down. That 5% in your money market fund goes away. You can lock into longer-term bonds right now at a 15-year high. And a diversified portfolio in the market is paying a lot of dividends right now, Bob. And income is key. And most of you are not taking advantage of that. I can tell you that right now. I know. And, it's a, and, and yeah, hey, look, right. you know, I always like to teach and like to educate um, both our clients and our listeners. And, you know, dividends are something that go up over time, but the price also goes up. So when you look at an investment and say, oh, well, it's only paying two and a half percent. Well, that same investment that you made in that particular investment 10 years ago has a cost basis yield of almost 10%. So as dividends increase, the price goes up as well. And the biggest risk all of you have isn't volatility, isn't the economy. It's that hidden insidious tax we call inflation. And it's coming down, but it's still there. It is. And over the next 20 years, it's going to double. Um, and I think you know the other mistake that we see a lot of investors making is I have to have AI, AI stocks. I have to own NVIDIA. I have to own Amazon, Google. And they've gone up a lot. And that's fantastic. But those big mm. mega cap names only pay about a 0.19% dividend. That's not the kind of cash flow if I'm a retiree I want to live off of. And the problem is those awesome growth stocks, well, it can go the other way. Like look at Tesla this week. Their earnings weren't so great. That stock went down 12%. It's actually down over 20% or 25% this year already. So a lot of these hot stocks, they can change on a dime and they're not paying you income to protect you, uh, especially if you're going to live off your portfolio. So you really have to change the way that you're structuring your portfolio. And I know a lot of investors right now, Bob, they're seduced by those big mega cap names that are done so well. Yeah, it's just so reminiscent, Rob, 1999 and 2000, where we had another big tech innovation called the internet. <clears throat> and the thing is, you have good companies, but they don't necessarily mean they're good stocks. And all these companies grew into their valuations, but it took 15 years. Yeah, it really did. And it's one of these opportunities where you could, you, it's okay to be early. <laughs> you know, you don't know when a lot of this stuff is going to top out at some point. In fact, if you would have sold out of those hot internet names a year before the market crashed, it was still taking you 11 years to make up the difference. So right now, what you want to think about is how do I build a plan for income? There's lots of rich cash flow out there, but you've got to maximally, maximally diversify your portfolio, and most of you aren't doing that. Well, you know, whenever there's a new technological innovation like we had in the 1920s, right? We had to, electricity was one of the greatest technological innovations in history, where we had lights at night, and we had the Roaring Twenties as a result of it. We could be in the Roaring Twenties once again as one famous economist said recently. And when you see this AI change, it's going to affect every company. I saw Honeywell the other day. They're incorporating AI into their climate control systems and buildings. So they're, all these companies are going to have a benefit 
from artificial intelligence, which means their productivity goes up, their profit margins go up, and that means earnings go up. And earnings, uh, earnings, as we've heard another famous economist say, is a mother's milk of stocks. Yeah. So if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I get it, Bob and Ryan. I've not been prepared for good economic data, uh, not going into recession, like everyone said, and my portfolio probably isn't structured correctly for retirement where I need income, I need to live off my portfolio. Well, here's your shot to do it. We keep 10 slots open for the entire show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run for your total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life. And we just hone in on every financial issue that you urgently need to address today, whether it's taking Social Security. There's lots of ways to take it. One optimal way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio? What's the most tax efficient way to do that? How do you draw from your portfolio without running out of money? We're going to build you a dynamic income plan, show you how to grow your income over time above inflation so you don't run out of money. And we'll look at diversification. Markets have been extremely volatile the last two years. Has your portfolio been all over the place or have you just been sitting in cash paralysis by analysis? You can't figure out what to do. We'll put together a full investment game plan. We'll show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life tied into your goals. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, mutual fund, brokerage product, structured product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment that you own. We're going to show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We keep 10 slots open if you saved over a million dollars for your retirement. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or you can just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own total unique financial plan. There's no obligation. There's no cost, but you won't have a plan if you don't text or call right now. It's 844-752-6692, 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investor Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams was another winner as all three major averages reached all-time closing highs as the resilient economy continues to defy the skeptics. Financial markets got a big boost this week from encouraging economic news. The Federal Reserve's preferred inflation metric, the PCE, dropped more than expected in December as inflation continues to moderate, paving the way for the Federal Reserve to start cutting rates later this year. Meanwhile, fourth quarter GDP grew at a much faster than expected 3.3% pace, well above analyst expectations. December's retail sales report showed a bigger than expected gain, while weekly jobless claims showed a drop to only 185,000, which is nearly a 60-year low for that metric. Housing data was good, and there was a sharp increase in consumer confidence in the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey as inflation expectations edged lower. Signs of the no-show recession are still nowhere to be seen. So three cheers for Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell 
As this week's economic reports indicate, it appears he is succeeding in bringing down inflation without causing a recession. Now, with the inflation rate cooling, markets largely expect the Fed to start unwinding its policy tightening. Future traders were assigning about a 53% chance that the Fed will enact its first rate cut this cycle in March. Great news for investors, but terrible news for the record $6 trillion sitting in money market funds at 5%, a yield that will drop when the Fed drops rates. Remember, sitting in cash is not investing. It's waiting to invest. And the big question in my mind is if the markets continue to rally and rates start to fall, will that $6 trillion be compelled and driven by FOMO, fear of missing out, and become, in the words of the 1990s, former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, irrationally exuberant and buy at any price? Well, only time will tell. All I know is our strategy for now is to stay fully invested in our goal-based portfolios. And to quote the legendary artist Prince, let's party like it's 1999. Hey, my son Ryan and I, we have over 75 years of combined industry experience in building low-cost, tax-efficient, goal-based portfolios. For your evaluation of your portfolio, all you need to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692, or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, this is Bob Payne. I'm the Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Back, folks. This is the More Money Show. This is WBC Talk Radio. Appreciate your joining us. We're on every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. Wanted to just, in our few minutes remaining uh, until the top of the hour, I wanted to just cover a few issues. First of all, I want to make sure that every listener of this show is getting the uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, which is free. I'm not selling you anything, folks. This is absolutely free. costs you nothing. I just want you to be the smartest person in the room when you're talking about politics and the economy, what's going on in America. So uh, get the hotline. You can read it in five minutes every morning. Uh, we will email it right into your inbox or even onto your uh, iPhone. Um, every you know, Newt Gingrich told me the other day it's the first thing he reads every morning. So it's very popular with people who want to be in the know. So to get the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, just go to our website, Committee to Unleash Prosperity dot com. Send us your email. Uh, again, it costs nothing. We don't. We're not selling you anything uh, except knowledge and information that you can use both as an investor and as an educated voter. Uh, so I think you will will enjoy it. Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com is the website. Uh, sign up. And by the way, if you don't like it, uh, most people love it. But if you don't like it, you can just unsubscribe. Give it a try. Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. The Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline comes out five mornings a week. Okay, I want to cover a couple of things that we covered in our hotline this week to give you kind of a sneak preview of what the uh, what the uh, hotline is about. So I want to cover just a couple things. One is just the economy. Um, how good is it? Well, the economy has improved, but I want to tell you, most of the growth in the economy in the last uh, six quarters, uh, so that la last year and a half, has been in government. Government has been the number one driver of employment. Government spending 
consumers, I'm sorry, spending by the United States government has outpaced private sector consumer spending. In other words, the growth of the economy is coming in the one sector of the economy that we want to shrink, not to grow. There's something wrong with this picture. And you know that that government spending is being financed how? How? Well, somewhat but with taxes, but increasingly with increasing our national debt, which is just basically running up the federal credit card. Everyone knows uh, that if you keep running up your credit card, at some point you have to pay back the the uh, bill. We haven't even started to do that in Washington. We're running a trillion and a half dollar deficits every year. Biden has increased the debt by $6 trillion in three years. If you think that's something to be proud of, then you probably should vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> if you think that this is a uh, financially sane thing to do, then go ahead, vote for Joe Biden, because he's going to give you a lot more of it if he gets four more years in office. I think it is incredibly reckless. Now, one other quick thing I wanted to mention. Uh, is inflation really under control? Well, it certainly has come down. It came down from, well, you you all know the data points here. When Trump left president, we had a less than 2% inflation rate. Then Biden comes in, and in 18 months, we went from like 1.6% inflation to 9.1% inflation. Hard to believe anybody could to do that unless they were intentionally trying to destroy the economy. Uh, and now it's come down to about 3.5% inflation, which is an improvement, but still too high. I'm here to tell you that I think it is premature to think that this fight against inflation is over. I actually am suspecting that we're going to see an increase in inflation. I like to look at something called the CRB index. That's the commodity index of you know the leading 30 commodities. It's the spot price that changes every minute. So you can find you can look it up every minute. It's always changing. The gold price, the copper price, the corn price, the uh, the wheat price, the natural gas price, and it's a, an index of those. And it's in real time. And what it's telling us is that guess what? That commodity index is starting to rise again. That means inflation is not falling. Consumer prices are going to start rising again. You heard it first on the More Money Show. I'm going to say that again. We're going to see a resumption of higher prices for gasoline, for groceries, for mortgages because um, of this lead indicator. And so the idea, oh, we've won the war against inflation is wrong. And you know it. Anybody who goes to the grocery store uh, and anyone who uh, fills up their tank with gasoline knows it. Finally, the last thing I wanted to mention to you all, by the way, I'm sorry, I did not have time this week to get to your calls. I'll try to get to your uh, calls next week or the week after. But the last thing I wanted to mention was what's where the jobs are in the economy, because we do have a healthy jobs market. But where is the jobs market healthiest? Where which states since COVID ended have seen the most growth of their economy in terms of job creation? Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you the top five. Ready? Idaho, Utah, Nevada, Texas, Florida. I'm going to go on a little bit. North Carolina, Arizona, Tennessee, uh, Alabama. The jobs are in the South and in the mountain states. They're in the red states. Now, which states have lost the most jobs? Or I'm sorry, not lost jobs, but regained jobs at the slowest pace. Okay, you ready for this? Um, the District of Columbia, that's a good thing that, the, <laughs> that there have been a lot of jobs created there. Uh, Rhode Island. And then the third state that has lost, lost the most, or has had the slowest recovery in jobs. You ready for this, folks? Because I know a lot of you live in this state. New York State 
has not even recovered all of the jobs that were lost during COVID. Most other states have. Maryland's had a really poor performance. Michigan has had a poor performance. Connecticut has had a poor performance. Gee, what do all those states have in common? Oh, gee, they're, they're the highest tax states in the country. Now, let's go back to the states at the top of the list. Uh, you got Texas, you got Florida, you got Nevada, you got Tennessee. Can anybody tell me what those four states, Texas, Nevada, Tennessee, and Florida have in common? They have no income tax. Hey, you want to bring jobs to Connecticut? You want to bring jobs to New Jersey? You want to bring jobs to New York? You want to bring jobs to California? You want to bring jobs to Maryland? You want to give bring jobs to Pennsylvania? I know our our uh, our show reaches most of those audiences. Cut your income tax. Get rid of it. Uh, you cannot tax your way to prosperity. That's the message of, of these jobs numbers that's incredible. Red states are creating jobs in the southeast. The Northeast, not so much, folks. I hear the music. That means we've come to an end of the show. This has been the More Money Show. I am Stephen Moore. I'll be back next week at 1 o'clock. Have a great weekend, folks.